right, everybody. Well, thank you for joining us here at the Call-In Podcast. My name is Owen Higgins. I am your host, as always. Uh, if you're listening on the app, live or on replay, please, please be sure to give us a subscribe. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, uh, please uh, rate us and follow us so that you can keep up to date on the show. Uh, today... Uh, we're joined by a special guest, uh, former Ohio State Senator and current uh, Ohio 11th Congressional District candidate, Nina Turner. Uh, Nina is a longtime uh, progressive voice uh, who I think has, has really been part of the national conversation, especially in the last uh, you know five or six years when uh, you know, after after her endorsement of Bernie Sanders and her kind of ascendance into the progressive movement, this is her second time running in Ohio uh, at the eleventh for the eleventh district. Uh, she is going to challenge incumbent Chantel Brown, uh, who won the special election in November. Uh, that was just four months ago, but we're going to do it again. I think. Um, what when is the primary? May the third. Yeah, so May third, and um, yeah, do you want? Uh, do you should we just start by uh, if you want to just tell us a little bit about um, your candidacy and and why uh, why you decided to, to to jump back in just a couple months after after the special election? Yeah, thanks, Owen, and it's uh, great to join you and your your listeners. The the same reasons that motivated me to run in twenty twenty one during the special election, as you laid out motivate me to run again in 2022. There are great needs in my community. There are great needs in my state, great needs in this nation, and as we know, great needs in the world. And it is vitally important, especially at this pivotal time in our nation's history, that we have more fighters elected to office, and that is to all levels of government, but especially in that Congress. My district is it has the, the largest city in, in my district is the city of Cleveland, where I live, where I was born and raised. And the city of Cleveland is the poorest big city in the entire country. And as we know, when a city is poor, when the major city is poor, uh, it has a ripple effect to all the other entering suburbs around that city. You need the center city, the central city to be strong, to be vibrant. And you want that kind of vibrancy for all people, no matter where they live. I'm just making a broader point here. And so it is not enough for people just to vote the right way. You're expected to vote the right way. And I put vote in air quotes. It is important that you fight the right way too. be be willing to sacrifice something, be willing to put something on the line, be willing to call some folks out when necessary. Definitely work with people, but also be willing to call people out for a greater good. And and so it is that that kind of suffering and the need. I come from a city that that has that fight and it needs a fighter to represent it. And so I'm running. A uh, one in every two children are suffering in, in my city. Owen, oh, they 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 suffer from what well, people say food insecurity is the is the fancy term. I call it they just flat out hungry. You know, we we there's a lot there. Uh, people are trying to unionize there. A shout out to the Starbucks Starbucks workers all over the country, but particularly in the greater Cleveland area who are standing up trying to unionize. We got Sherwin Williams workers by way of one big example that I can use in this particular moment. So Sherwin Williams is a is headquartered in a Cleveland, Ohio, in the greater Cleveland area. They're building a brand new headquarters 
in the heart of downtown Cleveland, yet you have workers striking for better wages and better work conditions and better benefits. Now, why can't we do both? On I'm not against the shiny new headquarters, but I am against workers having to strike for better benefits and better wages and better work conditions. Both of those things can exist at the same time. The people who lift up these corporations, that's just one example. We see what's going on in Amazon. We saw the, the whole bunch of people striking and trying to form unions last year, which was a beautiful thing. People from all walks of life getting together and their political affiliation didn't matter. All they knew is that they were catching a certain kind of hell from the man or from the woman. It is time that we center the policies in this country on behalf of the poor, the working poor, and the barely middle class are on. Uh, Sister Turner is running again. Excellent. Yeah, so um, I wanted to ask you just a little bit about about some of the some of the points you made there. Um, I guess, first of all, like when you're talking about kind of the balance between working with other lawmakers and also, you know, calling people out when that's necessary, um, does, does that mean that you're, you know, are, are you expecting to kind of hit the ground running when uh, it once you hit Congress or or are you are you planning on uh, maybe going a little bit slower? I know I know that both approaches have been taken by uh, by members of of the so-called squad or or however you want to define, you know, this this uh, group of progressive lawmakers who who, who largely work together. But uh, who, who I assume that you would join. Um, uh, but uh, do you do you see yourself as kind of taking a slower approach to that, or or just really just uh, just just like I said, just hitting the ground running and 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 being involved and being in the mix immediately? I'm going to do what's in the best what's in the best interest of my constituency on, and whatever that whatever that takes, uh, that's what I'm going to do. I'm centering the people first, so you know theoretically, just you know, not being in that mix directly. I mean, indirectly, I'm out here as an activist, as you laid out. I'm not just somebody who runs for office. I put a lot on the line. I've continued to do the people's work well beyond uh, my, uh, well beyond me being an actively elected official and even well beyond the work that, the incredible work that I've been able to do with Senator Bernie Sanders and this movement. I continue to fight the fight that I believe in, knowing that you don't have to have an extra special title to do those things if you truly believe in them, but being able to navigate in those places and spaces certainly gives you another vantage point to do the people's work. So I'm going to continue to do the people's work. I'm a partner with uh, anybody that wants to partner with me to do the work that is necessary to change material conditions. Oh, and it really is just that simple. So we can get that done by consensus. That's a beautiful thing. Uh, some of us are going to have to, to to fight a little harder than others to center the needs of the poor, the work, the poor, and the barely middle class. But I've certainly shown myself as an elected official, as uh, somebody that has been and served in a caucus before as a policymaker that I can and have and am willing to work with anybody as long as they're working for the greater good of this of this nation. Absolutely. You know, when, when you look at um, the the way that, you know, the last uh, since since Biden came in and, you know, now he has uh, or he has had, you know, the uh, a, a very narrow majority in the in the House and, and really just like the narrowest majority possible uh, in the Senate. Um, you know, what do you think about how how Democrats are? Are governing, and maybe we can start with your opponent, Chantel Brown. I mean, what do you what do you think about the kind of uh, Democrat Democratic politics that uh, that she represents, and 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 how uh, the Democrats have been, you know, per- performing uh, 
with the power with with you know control of the federal government uh much rather on uh, center my comments on what i believe the needs of the people are and how the democratic party as a whole in my estimation can meet those needs it the party and whether it's on the state level or the federal level needs need to do more needs to do more to actually center the poor the working poor and the barely middle class so certainly early on when the president got there and, and the, the CARES Act that was passed, that was necessary, you know, pushing an agenda that got shots in arms because of the pandemic, the, the COVID virus was certainly the right thing to do. We know that that level of getting it done would have probably never happened under President Trump. A matter of fact, you know, he was denying the severity of it. That Those are examples of the right things to do at the right time. What I believe that the party should have done is put press, press the gas on that kind of thing, you know, go even further because of the impact that this pandemic is having on us, not just as a nation, but as a world and, and, and the impacts of it that are far beyond whether or not somebody uh, contracts the disease itself. You know, the, the depression, the, the extra burden and weights on people's families, the not being able to go to work sometimes if you if you're sick or a loved one you you or somebody a loved one that you're taking care of or or that you're responsible for maybe even indirectly uh, that the burden that it put on an entire uh, on the entire species should have been um, should have been in the forefront of continuing to push policies that will make a difference. And so how could we make a difference? But just as we were able to get shots in arms, that same mentality would say that in the midst of a pandemic, we need universal health care. We need some type of mechanism to deliver health care. We can deliver shots in arms. We can use that same strategy and mentality, especially in this moment, to say, hey, we need universal health care. Uh, making sure that people have paid leave, for example, on, as I was meant, I mean, people get sick all the time, pandemic or no pandemic, but especially because of the weight of the pandemic, my God, wouldn't it be the morally just thing to do is to make sure that people had paid leave, leave for themselves, leave, leave for their families, uh, pushing the, the, and in some cases, you know, the house have done, has certainly done more to pass certain things uh, way before the special election of 2021, I might add, uh, then the United States Senate, the United States Senate needs to get on the ball. Uh, let's go ahead and pass the George Floyd Policing Act. Let's protect voting rights, expand and protect those voting rights, especially because they're being decimated on the state levels of government, which is definitely a failing of the GOP that does not give a damn whether or not people have access to the ballot box. As a matter of fact, for them, it's better if people do not. But let me put a however on that on. However, being looking into the future. I want to see my party look into the future because the Republicans look into the future. They play the long game. And that is why they dominate governor's mansions and they dominate state legislatures. We knew that 10 years from 2010 was coming and that there was going to be another census, that there was going to be another redistricting. But yet as a party, we turn our back on state legislatures where most of the, the, the more immediate dirty deeds misdeeds are happening and have a greater, faster, quicker impact. And maybe it's the state senator in me that really wants to see my party focus in on local and state levels of government in a deeper way than we do. Yes, winning the presidency is fine. Check. Having majorities in, council, in, in Congress should make a difference, but we see that there are log jams everywhere. But let's go ahead and check that off. Democrats have that. 
but certainly from from 2010 to this very moment, 12 years later, we are being faced with redistricting that's happening in my state. The type of gerrymandering that is that that does not hold the voter in high regard or the constituents in high regard, but rather it does the bidding of politicians. All of those confluence of things, Owen, dictate whether or not we can push policies that ensure more times than not that people will be able to live a good life. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that we've we've definitely seen the Republicans have uh, have have made, you know, state and local elections a priority uh, in in that. Time. Yes. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. So, um, you know, I kind of wanted to pull back a little bit, too, and kind of talk about the progressive movement. You know, as you see, it, obviously, as somebody who has who has been, you know, such an integral part of it and so involved uh, with with uh, the progressive movement in the U.S. for, you know, the last six, seven years. Um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to as to where you see things kind of going. Like, you know, I, I think in, in my opinion, the country has has gone uh, in a more leftward direction in certain ways. Um, I'm curious if you share that. Uh, perspective and and you know what you kind of how how you kind of see uh, the the left wing of the Democratic Party the progressive movement in general on this on you know on the ground and the grassroots how you've seen this kind of evolution and growth. Well, no doubt the progressive movement itself or the 21st century version of that progressive movement has had an impact on the body politic of this nation. Even if we just look back to 2016, the 2016 presidential and also the 2020, it was very clear that both of those elections were animated by a progressive agenda. Now, although the candidate that I wanted to see win and millions of others did not win, the fact that he got out there, Senator Sanders, and challenged the status quo had an impact on the conversation. And that is how that kind of change starts and happens. And we got more people to run for office on all levels of government who are progressive, who are unabashedly progressive, running to do a new thing in uh, in politics on all levels of government. That was a beautiful thing as well. And, you know, pressure is good on, just to go back to a point uh, that we were talking about just a few minutes ago, in, ter- in terms of, you know, some people see pressure as, as a bad thing. I see pressure as a good thing, you know, because it can yield results. And one great example to that in, in directly answering your question with another example is what Congresswoman Cori Bush was able to do. Remember when she called out just a few months ago, I'm old enough to remember, but she called out the, the moratorium. Remember the, mor- the eviction moratorium right. was about yeah. to expire. And Congresswoman Cori Bush, a progressive progressive a freedom fighting progressive not just one that signs up and say oh this is a good buzzword or let me become a progressive because uh, somebody is running against me as a progressive so i want to have that on the list no she's a real progressive and she called out she went against no no let me let me phrase it another way she stood up for the people you know she didn't go with the status quo and she stayed out there on the capitol and then other progressive champions came out with her but that shows you a very good example of the power of one. She camped out on the steps of the Capitol against the convictional wisdom, which is by that time, Owen, you may remember, everybody had went on vacation. I mean, everybody went, Republicans and Democrats. And she said, oh no, not on my watch. I can't do this. People are suffering. They're gonna gonna, um, be kicked out of their homes or their apartments, wherever they're living. And and I gotta stay here. I gotta show through my deeds that I understand this type of suffering and what can happen. And so she called out the the expiration of the eviction moratorium. So that is one example of many that I can give about how pressure is good. 
it, it definitely yields results. And she did get results, even though the Supreme Court, the United States Supreme Court jumped in and monked that all up. But she did put pressure to bear. And um, she 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 put a, a bright light on a situation that was vitally important. And nobody should have went in Washington, D.C., should have went on vacation knowing that millions of people could have been kicked out of their homes. Right, right. So and, the movement yeah. is making a difference, Owen. The movement is making a difference. And, and and we might not always see the results of that difference that is making it pure, did this person get elected or not. But what we do know is that progressives are winning elections. We're going to win some, we're going to lose some. That is just the nature of the, the business, of any business. That's just life. You're going to win some, you're going to lose some. But we do see an agenda that is more progressive uh, coming from uh, this president, I think that we would have seen had not the movement put pressure, had not Senator Bernie Sanders, if he had not ran in two presidential election cycles, making people uh, reimagine what is possible in the United States of America. He certainly sparked the 21st century version of the progressive movement. And then you have leaders like myself and like Congresswoman Cory Bush and so many others who are just taking up the mantle, the spark, and we are the flame. He's the spark. We're the flame. Absolutely. You know, I, I, I want to talk a little bit more about um, the, you know, you're talking about people putting themselves out there to make change, uh, you know, taking the initiative. And earlier you were talking about these, um, you know, these labor, uh, labor movement stuff that's been happening in Cleveland. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I think you said Sherwin-Williams and, uh, and Starbucks. Is that right? Or Amazon? No, I did say Starbucks. I mean, I, I yeah. put Amazon as an example. We know what happened in Bessemer, Alabama. Shout out to those folks for their incredible courage in a in a in a right to work for less state, uh, taking on a juggernaut. And I, I went to Bessemer, Alabama, to stand in solidarity with those workers, firmly believing that what happens over there happens over here. And what I mean by that is that we got to care about what happens in other states. We also got to care about what happens in other countries when there are injustices done to people because what happens over there and you can fill in the blank for what over there means happens over here that we're all linked. And, you know, Dr. King said it best, Reverend Dr. King said it best, what affects one directly affects us all indirectly. So I care very much about what happens over there, but in the city of Cleveland, yes, the Starbucks workers, as we know, are trying to unionize all over the country. And in my home city, uh, in, in, in my state, uh, we have uh, three, well, now four are coming online, but, you know, West 6th Street is an, is an area, uh, Clifton Boulevard is, is, a, is, a, is another area, and then the Cleveland Heights, which is a suburban uh, community uh, of, of, of uh, Cleveland, and uh, many others. And because those workers at those different um, stores that I just named are standing up to say we want to form a union, it is causing a ripple effect for others in the greater Cleveland area to do the same thing. Buffalo got the party started in Buffalo, New York. And so you see what happens. I mean, whether we're talking about unionizing or whether we're talking about elected folks or activist types standing up and going against the status quo, all we need is somebody to spark, somebody to get the party started to give other people courage. You know, one of my dear friends, Rosario Dawson, has a quote that I really love on. I got to make sure people give her credit for this because I am a quote machine. And she said, I'm here to encourage your courage. And that was something she said to a group of people when we were on the campaign trail together in 2016. She said to an audience, and I was right there with her when she said it, uh, you know, I'm here to encourage. We are here to encourage your courage. And that's a beautiful thing. And I think that is what 
people, um, you know, like these courageous Starbucks workers are doing, like Amazon workers are doing too, that, that Bessemer, Alabama uh, plant, they are there encouraging other people's courage. And we need more of that. And yes, it Sherwin-Williams is a paint company, just for, for listeners who may not know, know. And they, as I said, have the benefit of building a, a multi-million dollar shiny headquarters in downtown Cleveland, which is a beautiful thing because I want the record to reflect. I'm not against the building of the headquarters. I am against the suffering of some of the workers at the Sherwin-Williams and that I believe that that company needs to show the same zeal that they are showing to build a shiny headquarters. They need to show that same zeal to ensure that their workers have great benefits, have great uh, work conditions. That's it. And great wages. Those things do not have to be diametrically opposed. And so I am always going to be where the, the most marginalized are were the people who need the help and the influence and the backing the most. And it is the workers. But work absolutely. But, but, but standing up for workers and standing up for the working poor can, can also come with some, you know, uh, political backlash, right? Like, you know, like, like super PACs, of course. Like, like, like big money. And, um, you know, I, I just want to bring it back to the campaign here because, you know, these these big moneyed interests, these super PACs, these uh, you know uh, corporate donors, um, it, you you are going to be one of their targets again. So how how are you planning on kind of pushing back sure. against that and and to uh, and to make sure? I mean, are you are are you planning on doing the same kind of uh, people power donor stuff that you were doing uh, in the last in the in the last contest and that you know Senator Sanders did? Um, are you uh, absolutely? Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. Owen. I mean, the system needs change. We need campaign finance reform. Uh, we should not have dark money groups being able to influence campaigns in the way that they are able to do that. And so, yes, I am running a people power campaign because when at the end of the day, or should I win this race? I only want to have to answer to the people and not to these groups. As we know, it is legal to bribe politicians in the United States of America. We know that these special interest groups actually write. The legislation that was true when I served on the state level of government. It is especially true in, in uh, you know, within the on, on the federal level. And it is one of the reasons why one of the major reasons why we don't have nice things. And when I mean we, I mean the poor, the working poor and the barely middle class, because the power structure tilts towards those who have the most power and the most influence. And I think it is important that we give voice to or help to lift up the voices of because they already have voice voices of, of the most marginalized and one of the ways to do that is to be is to say that uh that or, or one of the ways i believe to to do that is to do what I'm, I'm doing right now to do what senator sanders show could be done running for the highest office of the land which is to motivate people to give grassroots money uh to help a campaign and when you have many of those voices it helps you to be competitive i was very competitive uh, last year, despite the dark money coming in. And as we know, Senator Sanders was extreme, extraordinarily uh, competitive, despite all the dark money that came in after him, because the people got in there and they lifted their voice through tw giving $27 at, at a time. And that is important. We got to change the way uh, campaigns are financed in the United States of America. That's going to take a systems change. And speaking of systems fighting back, the system is going to fight back not to let that happen. But we got to continue to push toward it. Yes, dark money groups are going to come in. They've already declared that they're coming in after after me. Y'all was the number one target 
last year in that race, 13 people in the race. I was told that there was going to be an anybody but Nina campaign launched against me. And they really meant that they did just what they said they were going to do on. And but even through all of that, here I am running again because I am compelled to run because I am standing up for what is just what is right and what is good. And I do have the backbone and the spine to stand up against the status quo. And when you do do that, as you as you just said, it does draw the ire of people who are within the system that don't want to see a change maker like me uh, go to the, you know, go go into the Congress. That is very real. But I do also believe that just as they're going to push, they're going to be a lot of good people who are going to push back. Some of those people were right with me in 2021. Uh, they're here with me again. We were overtaken at the end of it, almost $2 million worth of dark money flooded in against me. There's one thing when people put money in for a candidate they support. It's another thing when that type of money is used against a candidate. And as I said, 13 candidates in the race, and I was the only one that they came out against in such a vicious and vile way, using the angry black woman trope. I am a coffee bean, uh, uh, coffee bean, a huge sister, meaning I am a dark skinned black woman. And we know that within the 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 makeup of this country, unfortunately, we have gender problem. We have ageism, you know, racism, classism, all the negative isms. And then within the racism part, we have a colorism uh, challenge as well that I had to face with those groups coming after me using the types of stereotypes that they did. And then also believing that I was not requisite, uh, that I was, I did not show the requisite loyalty uh, to, um, to, to certain folks. And, and what I say, I continue to say, I, I don't worship a man or a woman. I worship God and I serve the people. And I'm going to continue to stand up for what I believe is just right and good. And, and I'm not standing alone. And so this, uh, thank you for opening up that opportunity on for me to uh, talk a little bit about what I endured last time, but I'm still here fighting. And I hope that the fight that I have will encourage other people to continue to fight for what is just right and good. And they don't have to be running for office to be uh, somebody that's standing up for, for good in this world. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, um, we have a caller in the Cuba just, just before we, uh, we sure. get to Alex here. I just, I just want to say that, um, you know, the last election was decided by a margin of like, you know, just around 4,000 votes. And, and we've that's seen right. some data that showed around 5,000 Republican voters participated in, in the special election. Uh, are, are Republicans right. going to be, uh, I don't know what Ohio's, um, laws are on this stuff uh but uh are there open primaries there are they able to to jump in or was that really just a special election thing and and these kind of tricks aren't going to work this time what a great question our my state is as open primary as you can get meaning that whatever ballot you pull at the time whatever ballot you pull in the primary is the ballot that we know we note you as if you pull a, a Democratic ballot in the primary, then we note you as a Democrat. You didn't, you didn't have to declare it. We use the ballot to note you that way. If you pull a Republican ballot, then you are noted in the state as being a Republican. And what we found, and yes, that up to, I mean, we, we have an estimate between 5,000 and 8,000, but you're right. Uh, um, uh, the number you note is, is right. And we have some data that shows it was upwards of 8,000. Republicans voted in the special primary. And guess what? They they were not voting for me. And they were encouraged to get into this primary, and they did. And one of the reasons why they were able to do that is because of what I just said. You can pull a ballot, Democrat or Republican, and that's how you are labeled. That's one. And then two, if you are a Republican and you wanted to get engaged in 
that primary because the district is so solidly Democrat, meaning the DPI, the Democratic index is so high that a Republican, the likelihood of a Republican winning the race is slim to none. If you wanted to be able to have any kind of influence, then it, it was it was to by by way of pulling a Democratic ballot. And that did happen in this special election. And I, I, I just believe that Democrats and democratically leaning independents should actually decide who the Democratic nominee is and not Republicans. And not only that on even when people can go check out the the camp the the finances the the donations that were made people like the owner of the patriots uh donated to uh my competition's campaign and he is a noted trump supporter trumper so we're not talking about just any kind of republican here we're talking about trump republicans actually got engaged in the primary and you asked me a question could they do that again they could do it again i think the likelihood during this midterm election cycle it makes it not likely only because there is uh, all all five of the constitutional offices offices of the great state of Ohio are up. And that means the governor, secretary of state, et cetera, et cetera. And then also we have a competitive U.S. Senate race because Senator Rob Portman is not seeking reelection. So if you are a Republican and you want to weigh in on those very consequential elections, you probably will not jump into this primary again. Got it. Got it. All right, um, we're going to take Alex here, and you know we just have a couple more minutes. But if anybody else wants to jump in the queue, uh, please feel free. Uh, so, Alex, uh, go ahead. You should be good to go here. Uh, hi, Senator Turner. Um, I'm a big supporter. Um, I I was uh, pretty pretty devastated when you lost your race. Um, I'm really hoping you you can uh, win this time. And uh, my question is about. Um, um, you know, presuming you win and get to Congress, I, I think like, or I've long believed that, that this is an opportunity for progressives in Congress to differentiate themselves from the centrist leadership in Congress. At, but I feel like, you know, we've witnessed kind of like that lack of coalition in what, what fell apart with the BBB with some, you know, the squad kind of voting against it, everybody else voting in favor, which was a disaster. And I was wondering how you think um, progressives can fight back in the next round, not just against Republicans, but against the leadership, which has really just put its, you know, its thumb on everything that the squad and progressives are trying to do. Well, thank you for that question, Alex, and certainly thank you so very much for your support. And I too was devastated. I mean, I went through some stuff after that election cycle uh, because we we worked so extraordinarily hard and we stayed above the fray as much as we could until it just came at a point where we had to fight back. I I do believe that um, the Progressive Caucus is the largest caucus in the United States uh, Congress right now. And um, that caucus has certainly championed and pushed pushed back and also pushed for some tremendous policies. And it is going to have to flex its muscle in a different and deeper way, I believe. Alex, I love how you framed the, the purpose of being a progressive. And there's some people in that caucus who are not really progressive. I mean, uh, let me just say that, at least by my measurement. But uh, back to what you asked, I, we the, they are there. The progressives are there, should be there to show that they are different from status quo Democrats. Then, Because if you're not, then you don't need the progressive label. You just like everybody else. And so when you get more people in Congress like me, 
uh, Amy Valella is running in Nevada. I mean, there's so many others out there that are running. I think if we can build more volume within the progressive space and more people who are willing to put something on the line to stand up. And and like you said, sometimes you got to stand up against uh, people who are in your own party. And I, and I, I don't even want to say that necessarily we're standing up against them as much as we are just standing up for what is right, period. And we're going to stand up for what is right, no matter who is in the leadership. That shouldn't change, whether it's a Republican or Democrat. By way of example, if it's good to have Medicare for all, and if you're willing to push for Medicare for all, if there's a Republican in the leadership, then damn it, you need to be willing to push for it. If it's Republic, uh, Democrats at the helm, um, the expansion of child tax credit, uh, making sure that the George, the George Floyd uh, Policing Act passed, the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed, dealing with climate chaos in a di- di- deeper way. Those issues and so many others that we, we can't get into all of them today, but those issues are not important based on who is has the leadership, who has the power. Those issues are important because the people of this great nation need those things by way of example. So if you believe it with all your heart, all your soul and all your mind, then you're going to believe it whether Republicans are in charge or Democrats are in charge. And that, Alex, is what I I believe that you're getting that, that we want to see some fight, some more fight, because the parents of they are fighting some. I, I can't say that they're not. And you're absolutely right. The squad did that daggone thing. You know, they weren't against the BBB. What they were saying is we want more for the American people. Y'all not going to get the BIF, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, without the BBB, because if we do it, then we're not going to get the BBB. And guess what? The bill back better. Guess what? They turned out to be prophetic in that because it didn't happen. And they took the right stand, even though they took the heat for it and they got heat primarily from Democrats, but they had the intestinal fortitude to do what was right and to take the heat. And we need more people with that kind of intestinal fortitude, Alex. And I got that kind of intestinal fortitude. All right. Well, Senator Turner, um, your, uh, your people are telling me that, that you got to jump off here. Unfortunately, I know we got a couple of oh. still in the queue, but, but uh, yeah. oh we'll God. have to have you come yeah. back and, and, and do this again. <laughs> and when we do, uh, Dee and Jenny, we'll put you guys uh, right at the top. Uh, Nina Turner, thank you. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Um, can you tell people where to uh, where to find your campaign and so that they can uh, reach out and support? Thank you, Owen. It was such a pleasure to join you, and, and thank you for you know the leeway that I had to answer the questions in a deeper way. Yes, people can find us, join us. Uh, with time, talent, and treasure, they can go to ninaturner.com. That's ninaturner.com. You can volunteer from anywhere. Anywhere you can do it, you can support us, ninaturner.com. On Twitter, I'm Nina Turner. On the gram, Nina Turner, Ohio. On Facebook, Nina Turner. And on, um, God, I know I'm missing. Oh, TikTok, I'm, I'm Nina Turner, Ohio as well. But all the social media, you can find me. But more importantly, just go to ninaturner.com. Oh, and thank you so much for what you do. Really appreciate you and all of your listeners, the Flashpoint podcast. Uh, God bless you all and, and keep doing the great work that you're doing. Thanks so much, Senator. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks, everybody, for checking out the show today. And uh, we'll see you later on this week uh, with some more stuff. Remember, if you're listening live or on replay, to uh, hit the subscribe button so that you can get updated to the show as we go. And, again, sorry about the uh, sorry about having to cut off the calls there. But um, sometimes, unfortunately, with the schedules, that does happen. Um, On Thursday, we're going to be joined 
uh, for a conversation about nationalism and genocide. Um, we'll let you know a little bit more about that as we get closer to that time. Uh, but for now, we're going to sign off, and we'll see you later. All right. Thanks, everybody.